The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to, we're wrapping up uh, a series. Actually, I got one more sermon next week, but we're wrapping up this series. It's limitless, limitless series, limitless love. We are going to wrap it up. Uh, I'm actually really excited about next week. This morning, we're wrapping up these dimensions of Christ's love in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 18. I'm gonna read that passage here in just a second. And then next week, uh, I wanna give you an object lesson. I'm not Mr. Prop Preacher. I don't usually use props, but um, the Lord gave me this picture and it involves all these props. And so I didn't know if it was gonna work. And so I practiced on the youth group. So a few Wednesdays ago, I did it with them. Now, listen, some of them are here today. Our middle and high school students are awesome, but I'm telling you what, they have the attention span of like a mouse. I mean, it's like three minutes is the best they can give you listening. And so I brought this, um, I brought this prop out and I started trying to teach them what I want to teach everybody next Sunday. And they were transfixed. And for 35 minutes, they engaged with me. They listened. We talked. It was so powerful. And at the end of it, I said, what would you do about to make this better for Sunday? And they actually gave me some feedback. They said, oh, if you did this, this would be really cool. And so I made some changes and I made it better. And so next Sunday, you're going to get a sermon that is already middle school tested and youth group approved, all right? So bring a friend, it's gonna be fun. It's, it's possible that somebody near me may get wet, so that's what's happening, that's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say, so this is a splash zone right here. It's not just for saliva anymore. All right, Ephesians chapter three. Come on, you guys, I'm gonna get in trouble if I keep, I gotta get into the word. Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. This is Paul's, profound prayer for what's humanly impossible, but divinely purposed and what God wants to do in your heart and in your life right now. And so I want to open our hearts and ask God to answer this prayer as we read it together. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God, we thank you for your word to us. Has been read in our hearing. We ask your Holy Spirit to make its eternal truths known to us. Write them on the tablets of our hearts. God, expand our ability to experience your nearness and love. Give us eyes to see you as you truly are and a filter through which to see the rest of the world, including ourselves. God, I pray that you would do the miracle of transformation in our hearts and minds this morning. And we invite you. We confess that our minds are alert and our spirits are willing. Speak to us now in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said,
Amen. So I want to talk about the depth of Christ's love. We've already in this series talked about the breadth and the length and the height, not the height, the height. And this morning, I want to talk about the depth. And I've been inviting everybody each week to kind of spend some time in this passage at home. I hope this this morning and most Sunday sermons are not your only diet of the scriptures. That's definitely going to be insufficient. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know many of you have been interacting with this passage and praying this passage for yourself. It only takes couple minutes to read it and to really think about it. And, uh, and I've been chatting with different people about what these different parameters of God's love mean to them. And it's really insightful to me to think how differently we all think about each of these parameters. What does it mean, the, the height of God's love to you? And, and as you read that, how does it hit you? And, and I, was, I haven't asked anybody, but I'm eager to hear how the depth of God's love strikes you, because I found this one was the hardest one for me to kind of put my hands around. I started thinking about the word deep. How deep? How deep, and what does that even mean? I started thinking about how do I use the word deep the most frequently? And you know, it's kind of funny. The way I use the word deep most frequently is when I get a really, really good barrel. I'm talking about surfing. I'm talking about dropping into a steep, hollow wave and tucking in and grabbing a rail and getting completely just shacked. I mean, just deep in a barrel. And then just, and this happened to me a year ago, and I still remember it. I can like, it's been a year. I can still remember during, a, right after a hurricane swell, was, I think it was in September of last year. And I, I was surfing at the pier and I dropped in this super tall, steep, peaky wave, went down bottom turn and the thing just totally just barreled right over top of me. And sometimes you get barreled and you can like look over your shoulder and in your periphery, you see a little bit of wave. This was like, I was like five feet deep staring at the outside of it, just screaming 40 miles an hour and just come shooting out with a big ball of spitty salt water at your back. Just look around to see if anybody saw it. You know, like, does anybody have a camera right now? What? No, just me. Okay. So whenever I talk about deep, I'm always thinking about getting barreled. And um, I think about that a lot, but I don't use the word deep very often. And so I started thinking about this word and, you know, this word's really flexible and we actually use it in a ton of different ways. We, we had these woods we played in uh, when I was a kid at the end of my street and they were only like 40 feet deep and then they turned into like swamp and it was all water. And so even though it was really thick and dense, you could kind of see through it and you wouldn't get lost. You could just go north and south and, and you just come out of the woods and you figure out which street you're at and you walk home. And, but we would go to Maryland and we would go to some of these places that were off the beaten path and the topography was rough and we would go deep in the woods. Sometimes you end up deep in the woods and you're looking around like, can't remember exactly how I got to this point in the woods. You're deep in there. Well, whether you're deep in a barrel or deep in the woods, we also use this word deep to mean a lot of like metaphorical things. I mean, we take a deep breath. Do that now, will you? You ever felt something deep in your chest? You ever feel something? You say, oh, it's deep. Anybody fall into a, a deep sleep in church? You know, never have. <laughs> Listen, I know maybe you've been to a church where you fall asleep and the pastor will say like, give them an elbow, wake them up. I will never say that. If somebody falls asleep in church, let them sleep. Can I get amen? Silence their phone for them if it goes off. If they're snoring, pinch their nose, whatever you got to do, let them sleep, all right? This needs to be a sleep-friendly place where you just feel unashamed and not judged. That's what you're going to find at Christ Church. It's not like falling asleep at the airport. No one's going to steal your phone. It's going to be great. But you can fall into a deep sleep. You can lock into a deep gaze. I remember the first time I met Tiffany and she walked into the room and I was not expecting to meet her. And so she comes into the room and I made eye contact with her and it was like, something happened. We had a deep connection and there was a deep gaze. I didn't know her at all. 
So there was something there. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever experienced that? And we use this word to describe some of those things that are kind of beyond describable. And so we have, we have deep thoughts, some of us. Maybe, uh, especially you ladies, you have a deep sense of something. I love, I mean, I'm, I've learned in my, in my older years, I'm pushing 40, and I've learned that when a woman says, I can't put my finger on it, but I start to listen. You hear that, guys? She doesn't have to be able to explain it. What do you mean? Tell me what you mean. Yeah, don't even worry about it. If she has a deep sense about something, just go with that. We get deep feelings, deep fears. We even talk about deep down inside. Let's talk about what's really important to us, what really matters. We can have a deep connection with someone with no words, and we can have a deep conversation with someone with no connection. Isn't that interesting? We can talk about things that are deep that are relatively shallow. I have deep set eyes. I mean, they're only that deep set, but they're compared to the rest of you, they're way back there. My mom always told me I had a generous forehead. That's how she described it. I, always, I don't ever do this on, when I preach, but I, if you see me any other time besides Sunday, I usually have a pair of sunglasses sitting right here. I got this nice little sunglass ledge for my, because I have deep set eyes. It's not that deep. It's funny too, we have deep wrinkles. Isn't that how this happens? I know, I'm like, I just started noticing about myself in every picture, I'm like, how come every time I smile, I look like the villain from Dick Tracy? What is going on here with these forehead wrinkles? And now I stop smiling, you can still see the lines where the wrinkles exist. They're deep. I mean, they're not even a millimeter deep, but they're, they're deep. Depth can be relatively shallow. We talk about metaphoric stuff. I think it's ironic that you could be deep in debt or have deep pockets, and we use the same word. <laughs> You're like, if I could be both, at least I could bring it up to zero. That would be awesome, you know? And so how does this word deep hit you? Even as things pile up, we start talking about them deep. I mean, we talk about the deeps as the ocean. You think about the Marianas Trench, the deepest place on the planet. There's deep, and then there's deep. But then you can walk through deep snow or deep sand or deep leaves. And so how does this word hit you? How does it stir your thoughts? And how should we consider the depth of God's love for us. I started even trying to think through, okay, well, how have Christians of antiquity thought about the depth of God's love? I started looking up hymns that use the word deep in them. There's some newer ones and some older ones, but even those, they would sing about how deep is your, your love or uh, how deep the Father's love. And they would mention some things about God's love, but there wasn't a whole lot of elaboration about the love of God, even in the few hymns that, that I could find, you know? And so I thought, well, maybe someone's preached on this. And so I typed in my, my search, how deep is your love? It turns out the Bee Gees have a lot more to say about it than most sermons, you know? I could tell some of you are already singing that tune in your head. Those, those of you of a certain age, there's a little falsetto voice ringing deep inside of you. Most often in the scriptures, when we see the deep, it's a reference to trials, suffering, apparent distance from God, lostness. The oceans are thought to be the deeps. I mean, this is, what was, this is what made most people fearful long before there was adventures into space and the, the terror of space exploration. The deep is where you couldn't see past a few inches and once you're gone, you're unrecoverable. And so out, throughout the Bible, we see the depths or the deep is some scary, faraway place of, of lostness and death and, and destruction. And the thing I love about considering the depth of God's love is that his love is deeper than the deepest depths of anything you've ever experienced. And this is what the Apostle Paul prays that we would begin 
to understand. Do you know that God's love is deeper than the depths of your sorrow? Don't you love it that there's always a God who will meet with us right in the middle of the hardest trial of our life, no matter what you've lost, how you've been betrayed, how you've been hurt, who you've lost, what uncertainty you're facing, and no matter how, how terrifying you, your future is, how terrible you feel, you will always find a God who is there right at your low point because his love is deeper than your sorrow. It's deeper than your sin. doesn't matter how much you mess up, screw up, fail again, repeat the same destructive behavior. You will never outrun the depth of God's love. You will never get to such a low point that you will get beyond the reach of God's love. His love is deeper than your sorrow. It's deeper than your sin. And it's deeper than your setbacks. I mean, half of the stuff that we experienced that are trials and tribulations came because somebody else screwed up. Isn't that the case? Nobody divorced in the house? No? Yeah, our setbacks sometimes we're just starting over and it's not our fault. And we can have this feeling like, where are you now, God? And because of the depth of his love, the answer is, I am right here with you. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. It doesn't matter when it happened, how it happened, how bad it hurts. God's love meets us at the point of our sorrow and our sin and our setbacks. Time and space cannot stop God's presence. I love these parameters because they bring us into this spatial awareness. You know that God created time and space so that he could know you? You know, before God said, let there be light, there was nothing but God. There was no time. There was no space. There was only God. And in order for there to be a you, God needed space to put you in and he needed time to walk with you in. And he made all of this so that he could walk with you his love is beyond space and time. And you can take it in every direction and you will never outrun God's love. Psalm 139, the psalmist does a beautiful job of contemplating this when in fact, he may be angry at God. He's definitely feeling abandoned by God. And he begins by thinking and questioning, how do I get away from you? You ever have that feeling? You ever in church like, nah, I don't wanna be here. I don't wanna hear another sermon. I don't wanna read this Bible. I don't wanna pray with you. I wanna get away from you. Well, you're in good company because that's half the psalmists. Look at what he says. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, all the way deep, deep, deep down, can't get away from you. And that can start as an offense, but it quickly turns into a comfort. Why? Because of the depth of God's love. You may be angry at God for something not going the way that you'd hoped. You may look to him and see, why did you let this happen? You may say, if you are this way, I don't wanna be around you. And you will find yourself unable to find space and time where God is not present. But what you will find when you encounter him really and truly is that he's present with a depth of love that you can't fathom. And the psalmist discovers this. He goes from saying, how do I get away from you? To saying, even there in verse 10, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me close. See, what you find when you feel like you can't get away from God is that he'll never leave you or forsake you no matter how mad you get or how bad things are. And when you turn to him, no matter what you've been through or experienced, you will always find him ready to lead you and to love you. And this is amazing news and we need to hear this. We can't escape his presence. 
And if we understood his love, we wouldn't want to. We also can't stop his purpose. I love Psalm 71. This is somebody in, I would say, late middle age, contemplating their later years, maybe the fourth quarter of their life. Oh God, from my youth, you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, oh God, reaches the heavens. You who have done great things, oh God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities. Can I stop you right there? Some of us have a rather shallow vision of God where we think that if he loves us, he will keep us from troubles and calamities. But that is not the God we know and serve. That is not the God who has revealed himself in the pages of these scriptures. The most high God says, you will walk through valleys and you will ascend mountains in your life, but I will never leave you or forsake you. And so the psalmist says, you have made me see many troubles and calamities, but you will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Isn't that good news? Listen, don't stop when you're down. That's what the depth of God's love should tell you. When you get down, 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 God is there with you and he's ready to lift you up, 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 up. Can I get amen? It was Winston Churchill doing, during World War II who said, if you are going through hell, keep going. Don't stop. And this is the good news of God's great love. It will get you through anything. It will lift you out of the deepest and darkest pits. It's great news, brothers and sisters, because we will end up in low points in your life. And anybody who tells you otherwise, to quote the Princess Bride, is selling something. <laughs> life is pain, Highness. And yet, and yet it's in the midst of those low points that we encounter the depth of God's love. One such story, Psalm 40, beautifully comes to mind. Maybe you already thought of it. I waited patiently for the Lord in the middle of difficult circumstances. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you want your life to be a picture of God's saving power? Do you want God to have been the one to be there at your lowest point and get the credit for the fact that you're getting up and walking forward, that he is the one that provides the victory, that you are a conqueror in him? Do you want your life to be something other people want to emulate? Not because you've avoided all difficult circumstances, but because you have prevailed by the love of God. This is what you're being invited into, but you'll never experience it until you get down to the bottom. And listen, sometimes people drag themselves into church because they've hit rock bottom. And I'm so glad you're here if that's you because I'm here to introduce you to the rock that's at the bottom. And he wants to take you right up out of the situation you're in and put your feet on a rock and establish you and restore you once again. That's how he feels towards you. That's his love towards you. That's what the depth of his love is capable of doing. And sometimes it's your own fault. 
honestly. Sometimes you were betrayed, you were abandoned, you were abused, yes. But sometimes it's your own fault and you know it. And maybe you're reluctant to even receive God's love because you're like, I brought this on myself. It's funny, uh, I have two brothers, but one of them is 20, 19, 20 months younger than me. We shared a room growing up and we have a good relationship, but we don't see each other a lot, but we text each other just random pictures and funny stuff. Do you guys anybody else have a relationship like that? Anyway, that's us. So I just randomly get this uh, text message from him that's a reminiscence of our childhood. It was a marquee sign. I don't know if you can see this yet or not. It says, um, you think you can hurt my feelings? I used to hold the flashlight for my dad. <laughs> yeah, think about that for a second. There's a couple guys in here that had a dad like mine. Yeah, you, there's literally nothing you can say that will hurt my feelings because of what I've experienced already. So I got a good laugh out of that. And because of the marquee, it reminded me of another picture I had in my phone that I sent him back, and that was this one. It says, uh, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and make bad decisions. I'll leave that up for a second so you can take a picture. I know you have someone you want to send that to. Everything happens for a reason. You're like, yeah, I know the reason. You know, like... And listen, we, we got to be able to be real about life. Do you know that? Church ought to be a place where you can come in with your mess ups after you've really messed it up. If, if we can't be a place where this is where you can repent and start over again and have God's help and power and some people who are willing to stand by your side, even after you've really messed it up big time, then we got nothing. Then we're faking. And so this is where we want people to be when those times get low, even if it's your fault. There's a guy in the Bible who's got a whole book attributed to him that tells the story of his great screw up. You guys may know it's the book of Jonah. How many of you guys have ever read the book of Jonah? It's a good place to start. It's short and fun. Uh, I did a sermon series from Jonah that I themed after Finding Nemo. I called it Finding Jonah. Uh, obviously because the, the key feature that take away from the book of Jonah is obviously that Jonah gets swallowed by a a whale or a big fish, right? And uh, it's kind of hard to read past that. <laughs> Everything's kind of normal until all of a sudden he's in a fish and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming, you know? So that seems to be the thing that people typically think about when they think about Jonah. But Jonah, Jonah was a prophet in Israel and a prophet in Israel has a calling, I mean, a, a profound and honorable calling. He hears from God and speaks on behalf of God to God's people. I mean, that's a, that's a big deal, and that's Jonah. And so we're introduced to Jonah and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, but this time it's not a message of rebuke or a call to repentance or direction, encouragement to God's people. This time, God is wanting to send him to Israel's enemies, the Babylonians in their capital city, deep in the heart of their own territory. And these are terrible, terrible people. The Babylonians were known for conquering a people and then taking the prisoners of war and peeling their skin from their bodies and then leaving them to die from infection. They were ruthless, brutal murderers. Far, I mean, you think ISIS, worse than that. And these are the tormentors of Israel on its Eastern border. And so Jonah hears from the Lord, I want you to go to Nineveh and prophesy against them. Now, Jonah knows the Lord. He knows that he is full of steadfast love. He knows that he is patient, merciful. And so he gets it in his mind. He's sending me there because he wants these people to repent. He's not gonna punish them like they deserve. I don't like him right now. And so Jonah gets on a boat and goes in the opposite direction. 
as any one of us may have done the same thing. But God's not going to let him get away with that. And so he sends a storm, and the storm rocks the boat, and they throw away all of the cargo, and they try to keep the boat upright, and the sailors have never seen anything like this storm, and they know their time has come. And so they draw straws to find out who is on this boat superstitiously that is causing this storm, and it's identified as Jonah. And then Jonah fesses up to the fact that he's running from God. They're like, you're running from God. (laughs) They throw him off the boat. Instantly, the, the sea's calm. The sailors are saved, and then they praise God. So even in Jonah's big screw-up, God's still saving all sailors, all right? And so you're thinking, oh, this is a good story, right? Well, then Jonah, this is it. I'm thrown into the sea. This is the depths. This is the irrecoverable depth of the earth. And so I'm done. But God sends miraculously, supernaturally, a provision of salvation and safety for Jonah to take him from the depths to where God wants to take him. And it's, it's this enormous fish. And in, in verse one of chapter two, we read, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, and this is all inset because it's poetry, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. And so he sees God as the author of this calamity because of his unwillingness. And at this moment of hopelessness, his faith engages. And we read, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters close over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's beautiful because the prophet who's meant to bring people to repentance reaches repentance. (laughs) He says, I'm gonna pray to the God who never leaves me, who I'm gonna hope in his steadfast love. I'm gonna cry out from the the depths and he's gonna intervene and he's gonna save me. Isn't this beautiful? And then the, the chapter closes in verse 10. It says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Apparently the fish did not have a taste for reluctant prophet. And it's, it's funny because the story, the story continues. You can read it later, but Jonah then goes to where he's supposed to go after having had this encounter where God saved him miraculously. And he goes and preaches uh, that he doesn't say, turn to God and he'll save you. He says, Buckle up, buttercup. God's going to destroy your town. Bye. That's what he says. That's what he says. And then the people are like, they have no good news at all. And they're like, we repent. Maybe if if we repent, God will will forgive us. And the word reaches the king. And they proclaim a fast. And everybody puts on sackcloth and ashes. And all the Ninevites bow before the God of Israel. And you'd think, wow, it's revival. And Jonah's like, darn. I was hoping to watch. He was literally going up to a mountainside to watch the city burn. How are you going to do it, God? Is it lightning and fire, locusts and pestilence? Are they going to get sores and boils? He's like ready to watch. He's got his popcorn out there. And then God forgives him. And he's ticked. And the story actually ends. That's not the end of the story. The story actually ends when he's miserable. He's like, just kill me. If this is what you're going to be like, just kill me. I don't even want to live. Let me die. 
And he's all, yeah, it's very dramatic. And, and a plant, God makes his plant grow up. So he has some shade and he's sitting under the shade. And then the, the, a worm eats the plant and the plant withers and he's back in the sun and he's just despondent before God. And, and the book ends by God having a conversation with Jonah and saying, you are lamenting a plant that provided you shade. And I just saved a city of 100,000 people. Do you have a value problem here, Jonah? <laughs> but this story illustrates the reality of our brokenness. Before Jesus came, before he cleansed the human heart so it could be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, before he came to fulfill a new covenant in which God would take out a heart of stone, stone cold heart, and put in a heart of flesh that beats after God's own heart. Every single person was just like Jonah, and you were just like Jonah before too. You judged the world by how it affected you. You made classes of good people and bad people. You looked at God and judged him for the things that you went through and the things that you had to do, and you didn't like the way things shook out, and it was unfair, and you shook your fist at God, and you made all kinds of judgments that were outside of the heart of God, and you did not have a picture for what God wanted to do in your life or through you in the world. And the reality is, is that there has never been a person Every priest had to atone for his own sins before atoning for the people's. And every priest did that until he died and was replaced by another one perpetually forever. Every king that sat on the throne in Israel, even the great David and Solomon, fell to their own sins and tendencies and temptations. All of them utterly collapsed. There has never been a man to sit on the throne or to atone for the sins of the people or to speak the word of God until Jesus. And in Jesus, we have a perfect high priest and a righteous, selfless king and not a reluctant prophet, but one who comes to bring great news of great joy for all people, Israelites and Ninevites alike. Do you realize this? And what he does when we encounter him at the depth of his love is he transforms our heart so that we begin to experience a whole new way of living. The question is, will you receive this Jesus for who he says he is? Do you know that when Jesus was walking in in his ministry and he was confronting the Pharisees, he had this interaction where they asked for a sign. Jesus had done all these miracles and they were like, you do a trick for us and we'll tell you what it is, okay? So this is when we become the judge of God. And I I meet people all the time who decide they are gonna be the ones to judge God's word. They are gonna be one of the ones to judge God's care. Well, I don't think, well, I don't think God should or God would never. How could a good God do? You are standing in judgment over God. That's what you're doing. And you are saying, prove it to me by doing things the way I would do them. And God will say the same thing to you that Jesus said to the Pharisees. It is an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The depth of God's love was never made visible until Jesus came. But now its depths are so unfathomable that we are never outside of the realm of God's love. Because of Jesus, we can turn to him and find forgiveness and intercession. 
Hebrews 12 or Hebrews 7 tells us that because Jesus lives forever and he's a perfect high priest, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Listen, in Christ, nothing can stand against you. You are enveloped by the love of God. He will bring you through everything you go through, whether you've had a horrific life or it's been all rainbows and sunshine up to this point. When hard things come, you can know the God who is there, the God whose love for you is deeper than you can imagine. And there is no depth to which you can fall that he will not be there to pick you up. That's a God you can hope in. And that's been made good for us in the person of Jesus. Philippians 2, Apostle Paul considers what Jesus has done. He calls us to have the same other-centered humility as Jesus. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see how low God got so that his love could reach you? And that love is still fixed toward you in this moment. It will never end. It will never fail. And you can't outrun it. You can't escape it. Listen, life is not going to be easy. It is not going to be painless. It is going to have its trials and troubles and sorrows. But there is a love that is deeper than your sorrow and deeper than your sin and deeper than your setbacks. Will you receive it? Will you invite God to pour his love into your heart? Will you turn to him when you're out of options? This is the question. And so we are prepared to suffer. Listen, we're being throttled on Facebook. Like, seriously. We have brothers and sisters on the other side of the planet who are being slain in the streets for their Christian faith. You know this. And so we have not yet begun to experience persecution and pain and trial and travail. And we may, in our own generation, it is possible. The question is, will, be we, will we be ready and willing? Apostle Paul, in the middle of such suffering, said, what should we say to these things, Romans 8, 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height 
nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Has God got you? Has he met you at the deepest points of your human experience? Can you count on him to carry you through until you know the depth of his love like that, brothers and sisters? You're always gonna be scrambling for a fallback plan. You're always gonna be looking to yourself or somebody else. You're always gonna be putting your hope in people or organizations or institutions or outcomes. All of those things will fail you, but God's love never will. And so we turn our eyes to Jesus. And we invite God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I want you, we're going to have the worship team come forward and lead us in the song as we close. And I just want to invite you to let God work. When I was 18 years old and I first started following Jesus seriously, you can picture this, long blonde hair, bleached from the sun, ponytail, red face perpetually from working construction and surfing constantly, emaciatedly thin, yes, even thinner than this, driving around New Smyrna Beach in my hot rod, thinking I'm, I'm, I'm hot stuff. I had this little idol that I'm putting all my money and all my energy into and all my identity. I'm literally driving around with one sticker on my car and it says, lost. And I'd responded to Jesus offer of salvation and love and leadership. And I said, all right, I'm all in with you. And so I, I threw away my Metallica CDs and Megadeth and Sublime and all my music went out and, and I popped in some Christian music that I bought at the, at the media, media play, got a CD, they had eight available, no cassette tapes. That's for the, I put my little CD in there. I remember I got this, I got this CD of um, Third Day. It was called Offering and it was a live album. And I put it in and I loved it because Mac Powell had a man's voice. And, all, and all, all, the, all the male Christian singers at that point were all like Michael W. Smith and Chris Tomlin. Ah, they're all like little high voices. And so I like Mac Powell in my stereo. I mean, I had given up on James Hetfield. Come on. So I'm like, Give me, help me out. And so I'm listening to this song. And, and um, I don't know if it was track three comes on and I'm just driving around listening to this. And, and the song was called Just To Be With You. And I hear him start to sing. And it's kind of a ballady sounding song. And about a third of the way through it, I realized that this is not a song that we sing to God. Mac is, le is leading us. He's singing a song that is written from Jesus to, to me. He said, I would give anything just to be with you. And I was overwhelmed by God's love for me and the depth of his love for me. And I was a snot-nosed little punk at the time. And I was overwhelmed and I started just crying. And I couldn't hold back the tears. And I started like gasping for air and crying so hard. And, and I was having this moment with God overwhelmed by his love. And I'm sitting at a stoplight with my windows down, no air conditioning. And I looked to my left and there's people just staring at me like, oh. And I didn't care because I was just being washed over by God's love. And I've had moments like that throughout my Christian life and I can't see them coming and I can't make them happen, but I'm inviting you, letting you know that if you will open up your hands and your heart to God, you can expect to find him washing you with his deep love. And you need that more than ever, brothers and sisters, because I don't know what he has for you tomorrow. I don't know what things he's gonna call you to walk through. I don't know how bad it's gonna hurt or what it's gonna take or how long it's gonna last, but I do know that there is a love that will carry you through. Amen. And so open your heart to him, amen? God, God, we thank you for who you are 
and how you wanna minister to us in this moment. And I just pray we would have open hearts to receive it, that we wouldn't try to be stoic or hold it all together or be a tough guy or think this is outside of us. And we'll just, no, we just wanna have everything that you have for us. And so we pray, God, that you would just wash over us with a reality of your love. We're open and ready. And I pray for every person that does not know you, who's hearing for the first time your invitation to be forgiven and restored and made whole and adopted and brought in. And God, I pray that they would hear you call their name and they would turn to you in faith and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that you raised him from the dead and that they would be saved. Father God, minister to us now. Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand.